Hello to everyone. We're thankful for another opportunity to look into the Word of God. We thank God for His abundant mercy and grace upon our heart, our soul, and our life. Thankful to be delivered. Um, If you'd like to look with us, we're in the second book of Kings, chapter number one. Last time we left off, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah, has stepped in to be the king. He's fallen from an upper lattice and he's laid sick. He's in bad shape. He sent his messengers down to Ekron to inquire of Beelzebub about his condition. And God has Elijah to meet those messengers on their way with a word from Almighty God. Um, And Elijah says to tell him, tell Ahaziah he's not getting up, but he's going to die there. So the messengers then turn and go back. And we'll pick up in verse number five where we left off. And when the messengers turned back unto him, he said unto them, why are you now turned back? So they come back and they come back quickly. Um, I don't know exactly how far it is to Ekron and back, but you know, if if I leave and I'm going to go to uh, the city and shop and come back home, if I leave and come back in 30 minutes, then... Uh, my wife is going to know, well, you didn't have time to go to town. And that's exactly what happens here. Uh, Ahaziah, the people, they know how long it takes to get to Ekron and to come back. And these messengers have returned much quicker than normal. And he says, what's going on? Why have you turned back? Why didn't you go? You haven't had time to make it. And in verse 6, And they said unto him, There came a man up to meet us, and said unto us, Go. Turn again unto the king that sent you, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, it is, is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. So these messengers, it appears, uh, and by what we read, they did not know who Elijah was. They didn't recognize him. Uh, they were unaware of who he was. And, and that's honest. That's somewhat amazing to me that they did not recognize nor know who that he was. But they deliver <clears throat> the message of Elijah back to Ahaziah. And Ahaziah then says, and he said unto them, What manner of man was he which came up to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him, He was a hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. And as we think about that now, I believe as they speak this message to Ahaziah and him being the son of Ahab, being well aware of the goings on in the kingdom, I believe that he had his suspicions immediately as to who this messenger, who this prophet that met these men in the way, who it really was. So he says, what did he look like? What did this man look like? And they said he was hairy, had a leathern girdle. And he said, that is Elijah. He recognized who that he was by his description. He knew whether the messengers knew Elijah or not doesn't matter. The king who was sending them, he was aware who this was and of all the works that he had done previous. And we see a glimpse here as to the natural appearance of Elijah, a hairy man with a girdle of leather. And we know he had a mantle as well that he wrapped himself in. And so, uh, 
these messengers, they've returned, they tell the message, and uh, he recognizes that it was Elijah. But now think about this, him knowing Elijah, does that mean that he's uh, fearful and he's going to obey or that he believes what's being spoken? In Mark chapter number 6, verse number 20, the Bible says, For Herod feared John, John the Baptist, knowing that he was a just man and an holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So this is an account of what Herod the king thought of John the Baptist. He regarded him as a, a holy man. He regarded him as a just man. And he enjoyed hearing the preaching that John the Baptist would preach. And yet when the time come, and when the gospel found Herod, did he fear John enough to obey? No, he is going in order to please Herodias and his, her daughter. He's going to cut John's head off. So the natural knowledge is not enough to bring man to a place to obedience of the word of God. Now, Pilate is another, and I realize all of this is well known, but Pilate was a man who knew that Jesus was not worthy of death. He knew, as the Bible says in one of the Gospels, that they delivered him for envy. He knew that he was not guilty of what they were charging him of, and he wanted to release the man, Jesus. But in Mark 15, verse 14, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. So Pilate knew the Lord Jesus. He knew that he was uh, right and just he knew that he had not broken any laws worthy of death. And yet, in order to please the people, he de de delivers Barabbas, the insurrectionist, the thief, the murderer, the wicked man worthy of death, and releases Barabbas and crucifies Jesus. So knowing naturally these things, that doesn't mean anything. And we're going to see here that it doesn't mean anything for Ahaziah either. He's got no respect to the word of God, but there is a recognition of the man of God here. So verse number nine, then the king said unto him, a captain of 50 with his 50. And he went up to him and behold, he sat on the top of an hill and he spake unto him, thou man of God, the king hath said, come down. So you could take, uh, uh, maybe a lot of ways here, but he's sending a captain with 50 soldiers with him to go get Elijah. Now, you might say, well, he was just wanting to go inquire further of him, or he wanted to go and, and hear what the man had to say for himself. But would you send the chief of police with 50 officers 
to go get a man that uh, you regarded as somebody that was honorable and worthy. Absolutely not. He's sending his army and a captain with 50 soldiers. They're going to arrest Elijah, bring him back bound. He's just exactly like his daddy was before him. His daddy taught him well to hate the word of God hate the man of God, reject every notion that they speak, and when they stand up against you, throw them in prison. And that's exactly what he intended to do here. Elijah, who do you think you are to speak against the king? You come down from here. The king said, you're coming with us. So, in Amos chapter number seven, and uh, you know, you find this all through the Word of God, even into the New Testament, that Paul says, where is the off-scouring of the world even unto this day? And certainly the gospel is still the off-scouring and hated of the world. There was a time in my younger years that as I thought about uh, how that God was going to bring this world to judgment and how even as the, the circle of history goes, it seems it always repeats itself. And we're on a downward spiral certainly now. And the church going back into the home, I always thought that it'd be the government and the powers that would run the gospel out of the church and back into the homes. But as we go on and we see more and more it's not the government casting the gospel out. And don't get me wrong. I believe we've got leaders that would like to do away with the gospel if they could. But what's running the gospel out of the church is the people in the church and the pastors and the deacons. And there's no stomach to hear the doctrines of the word of God anymore. There's no desire to hear preaching we want it worked up in the flesh. We want a loud racket. We want a feel-good message. We want to have singing. We want to sing for hours on end. We want to have some crying and some testimonies and some slobbering, but preaching the gospel. No, we don't want that. And the door goes shut often on the word of God to come. So in Amos chapter 7, verse number 12, Amaziah said unto Amos, this is not the same Amaziah, as what we're reading over here. This is Ahaziah in Kings, so a different man. O thou seer, go flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. Don't come here and speak that word. That word of God, Amos, is not welcome here. And I, I believe Ahaziah is saying, your word of God is not welcome here. And churches are saying today, that preaching that you do and that word of God that you stand for, that is not welcome here. We want our own doctrine and our own way. And that's exactly what they're getting. So over and over again, you see this happening and in John now, you think about it, he thinks he's got power. We're just going to go arrest the Word of God and we're going to get rid of this problem that has been that bothers us. Well, did arresting Micaiah in the last chapter of 1 Kings, did that spare Ahab from dying in the battle? Absolutely not. So Jesus says this again to Pilate. 
This is John chapter 19, verse 10. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And so the Lord Jesus says that the power that you have, Pilate, it's not something that is of you, but God has granted you the ability to have judgment and authority over me. And certainly, that's always the case. Man may think he's got authority to do with the word of God as he will and that he can do away with it. But no matter what happens, the word of God's not changed, it's not altered, and man has not hindered it from accomplishing its work. In 2 Timothy 2.9, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, the preaching of the gospel had got Paul in prison. But the word of God is not bound. Paul was bound, and Paul was in prison, but the word of God was still accomplishing that that it was sent to accomplish. Now, they can go arrest Elijah, and the only way they can bring Elijah in is if God allows it. May God help us to to realize that we've got no power or authority over the word of God or over God himself. Any authority that we do have, God's allowed us to have. And at any moment, he could rip that from our hands and render us as dead men and women. Now that's the truth. And so he sends to arrest Elijah but the word of God is going to stand true. The king hath said, O man of God, come down. And Elijah answered and said to the captain of fifty, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. So they thought that they were going to come and have their way with the word of God, arrest the man of God and cast him in prison. And God, again, proves who he is, who is pow- where his power lies, and what authority that man thinks he has but does not. God proves that Elijah's his man. I mean, we're talking fire from heaven fire falling from the sky out of heaven and consuming 50 men and the captain. So listen now. Verse 11. Again also he sent unto him another captain of 50 with his 50. And he said unto him, O man of God, thus hath the king said, come down quickly. So the message We've got an extra word added to it. The first time it was come down, fire came down and devoured him. Now here's a second captain with his 50, and now he's going to go and do the same thing, except now he's going to add even more to the message. You come down and you come down here quickly. 
You respond to what the king says and you do it at this minute. Don't wait on it. But now he just seen God destroy the man before and all of the soldiers with fire. He just witnessed that. And yet, he's going to come and do the same thing. And you know, you think about mankind and my God, the blindness that has covered the mind and the heart of the multitude of mankind that though God has brought judgment over and over again, though God has brought destruction and God has promised destruction in his word over and over, yet man still believes that it is not going to happen to him. It's astounding. And what more could you say other than man is completely and totally blinded? In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse number 3, there is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, and there is one great event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. So mankind here, this is the state of man as a whole after that fall in the garden into sin and iniquity. It's just a few days down the line and you, you read that the thought and the desire and the intent of the heart was continually evil. That doesn't speak well of mankind and it doesn't hear it either. Their heart is full of evil and madness. How crazy do you have to be to follow? Now the man before you, fire fell and burned him up and yet we're going to go and do the same thing and why it's not going to happen unto me. God's not going to destroy me. Bible says in chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes, Verse number 11, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Now there here is what brings deception to man because God is not cutting man down immediately, but is merciful and long-suffering, willing that he would repent. The heart of man is fully set to do evil. The very mercy and long-suffering of God only promotes man to go into sin further. Now that's how blind that man is. I mean, I, I've said this so often, but my God, how true that it is. Here's Pharaoh, who's watched his entire nation and his own firstborn son be destroyed by the God of Israel. He's coming to the Red Sea, and there it is stacked on either side with dry ground in the middle and the children of Israel walking through the midst of the sea on dry ground, and he thinks, I'm going to go in after them. With no fear of the God that brought all of this destruction. You know what that is? That is the madness of the heart of man. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. 
and certainly their mind is blinded that they cannot see. And, and man thinks, well, if we could say this to them, then they'll see. And yet fire falling from heaven was not enough to make this captain to see. I tell you, man, man is in a place of absolutely no hope except God illuminate and enlighten his heart. Man is in a place of sin, deception, and lies. So let's look back now in, in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, I'm sorry, chapter 1. So he sent another captain of 50 with his 50. And he said unto him, O man of God, thus hath the king said, Come down quickly. And Elijah answered and said unto them, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. So the same attempt was made and the same result was brought to pass. Ain't it something how that that happens? And this is about cliche in our day about not, not just things that pertain unto God and the Word of God, but about everything. It's madness for me to continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. Well, is it not madness? We've got all of this Word of God that shows that those in disobedience are destroyed for their disobedience, and yet I go on in my madness and disobedience and think it's going to work out different for me. Friend, it will not work out different. We will either be saved and born again with the power of God indwelling our heart, justified through the blood of Jesus Christ and made new creatures by the power of God, or we're going to be destroyed for our sin and our willful disobedience to the Word of God. It cannot and it will not work out any other way than that. So he sent again a captain of a third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell upon his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these fifty thy servants be precious in thy sight. Behold, there came fire down from heaven and burn up the two captains of the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore let my life now be precious in thy sight. So this captain comes. He's got a different attitude. He's got a different heart. He's not coming, demanding his authority and his power and the authority of the king. But this man has come and seeking mercy from the man of God. There's a recognition of who's in control here and who's got the power and who's got the authority. And if we're ever going to come to the word of God and be accepted, we're going to realize that that word of God is the authority and that's the means for us to come unto God. We'll come the way God says and that'll be humble and broken or we will not come whatsoever. In 1 Kings chapter number 13, 
here we see Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam was the first king of the northern Israel when they broke away from Judah and from David's lineage. And Jeroboam, in chapter 13, verse 4, it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said to the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me that my hand might be restored again. So Jeroboam, when he first hears this word, now he's the king, he's got authority, and he stretches forth his hand in anger and in wrath, and he's commanding his men, you lay hold on him. And as he's doing so, and you think about a, a turn of events here, as his hand gets stretched out, God dries it up and it withers. And as God's drying his hand up, the altar behind him under the golden calf that he set up, that altar breaks and all of the ashes spill out upon the ground. I tell you, God's telling a man there who's in power and who's in control. And Jeroboam goes from a man saying, you take this man and arrest him, to a man that's begging, you get down and pray unto God for me that he would restore me. I tell you, there was a change of heart there. And when God brings illumination to the heart of man, there will be a change of heart and a change of nature there. Man will not come to God in pride for salvation, but the word of God will break his heart, break his spirit, and bring him to a place of humbleness and contriteness in repentance before the authority of the power of God. And that's precisely the way this man comes to Elijah. He falls on his face. He comes seeking mercy. And in Psalms, now that's the way to come to God. In Psalm 102, Verse number 16, the Bible says, When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. Who is he looking to? I tell you, he's looking to the poor and the pitiful and the weak and the beggarly, those that don't have anything, those that have no strength, those that have no power, those are the ones that God is mindful of and looking upon. It's been that way all through history. God's not changed the way he looks upon man today. In Luke chapter number 18, and we'll look here and then we'll stop for the day, but we've got very familiar scripture Verse number 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, 
or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, I had never really thought about this till just recently, but what these men are, this, this is ever a bit true. The publican was a tax collector, a sinner, one looked at as a traitor, one that stole from his own people, and truly, he stole from the Jew, from the people of God. So he was looked at as an enemy, and he was. He was a publican. And this Pharisee, he was a Pharisee. And they were people that kept the law as straight as anybody on the face of the earth. They were a people that, that desired to keep the law right down to the measuring out of, of the very uh, herbs that was in their garden. Measuring out even 10% of the herbs down in their garden. I believe he, he wasn't an extortioner. He wasn't an adulterer. He wasn't like this publican. I believe he did fast twice in the week. And I believe he did pay tithe. All of this is true. I believe it. And yet, the Pharisee did not go home justified, but the poor old publican went home just. Why? Look at how they approached unto God. The Pharisee approached in his self-righteousness. The publican approached in brokenness, seeking mercy. You know who's, who's going to receive mercy? Those that seek mercy. And the Pharisee, in his mind, he didn't need mercy. Well, the first two captains, they didn't need mercy either. They were going to go make the man of God come. But we're not going to make it happen. We're not going to force an offering unto God. We're not going to force our way into the kingdom. Fire will come from heaven and devour us the judgment and the wrath of God. But by the mercy of the word of God, our eyes being open to our sin, if that mercy we seek for, it'll be mercy that we receive from the hand of God. We'll stop there. Thank you for listening. We love you. Pray for us.